Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. haven't figured it out yet one of my favorite shows is mayday roleplay and with me today i have uh the gm of the delta green work as well as a cast member of a few of the shows on their program um yeah if you would like to introduce yourself how you doing navar thanks for having me uh yeah. my name is sergio and i am as you said the uh the handler for yeah, the handler, our yeah. doom to repeat campaign um, I also play characters in our D&D show, Ashoka, and pretty much everything else that I'm not uh, DMing. <laughs> we, we have an Orpheus campaign yeah. uh, where I play a character as well. So yeah, a little bit of everything in our in our group. Yeah, so much fun. I, I, um, I'm obsessed with the Delta Green stuff, so we're definitely <laughs> going to talk about that. But where I always like to start is just how did you, you know, even get into nerd stuff in general? Well, I've always been a nerd, that's for sure. Yeah, but when it comes to like tabletop stuff, I, it it happened a little bit late in my life. I I um it, I was dating somebody, and they introduced me to D anD D, and I became obsessed immediately after learning about. Like I always knew what D anD D was, yeah, but I didn't really know what it was like to play it. So right. once I started playing it, it was over. I mean, I've I've, yeah. ju- I've just been into it ever since, and you know, kind of obsessively learning all the different game systems and and you know the ways you can play and that's kind of been my life since then but i've really honestly only been playing for i want to say maybe eight seven eight years now yeah so a pretty so, short time yeah um, were, you, were you like into comic books and like oh uh, yeah i mean every in, in every other regard i was <laughs> the typical nerd yeah. video games uh, uh comic books movies I'm in the film industry, so I'm probably a little bit more of a film nerd than anything else. Yeah, but I've I've always leaned towards that kind of stuff uh, for sure. I've I, you know, I've never been a big fan of of just normal sports. Uh, not that I don't <laughs> dislike going to a game, but yeah. I've always been uh, just that guy that likes to be inside and and play games with folks <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, you, you know, that's, uh, you mentioned being a film nerd. That's one of those ones where like I, I listen to other podcasts and stuff and obviously, um, you know, TTRPG podcasts and, um, you know, kind of these like dramatic role-playing scenarios, I think attract that kind of person, people who True. are into film, people who are actors. Um, and so you, you listen to some of the banter and some of the things that they talk about. And one of those is like films that are either foreign films or kind of obscure older films. Um, and I, I personally have never really found the appeal, but I'm curious, like from your own perspective, do you like, are you into that kind of stuff specifically? Or, or do you, um, do you like more kind of like mainstream stuff in the film uh, world? Whenever it comes to art, somebody told me a long time ago, don't 
mock or um, put down other people's art if you're an artist. And and at the time, yeah. I wanted to be an artist and and you know still pursue that goal. And so I I try to take everything I can from everything I watch or listen or read or whatever. Um, so I I'd like to watch all kinds of different movies. I have definitely watched old films, black and white films, foreign films. I love Italian neorealist films. And the reason I would recommend watching them from a tabletop perspective is that those old movies that really are focused on character and the plot is kind of central around the character, you just, you get a more... um, I don't know what else to say other than like a real experience. You know, if you watch a John Cassavetes film, for instance, he's very much a, an actor's director where he just lets them go. And and I equate a lot of what I do in Doom to Repeat to what Cassavetes would do with his actors, where I try my best to just let my players run the scene and, and yeah. they'll be the ones that say, okay, we're moving on or we want to do this. You know, sometimes I have to encourage them a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But I think the real magic is knowing, okay, I have a group of players who a lot of them are actors, Allegra, Caleb, um, Amanda, a lot of these guys do do it on the side or professionally or whatever. So it's important to get out of the player's way sometimes when you know that they are good at performing. Um, My players, and I think a lot of players in general, have a very good understanding of what a story looks like. You know, we've all seen movies, we've all read Mm -hmm. books. And so sometimes as a handler or a DM, you have to get out of the way of the players because believe it or not, your players know where the story needs to go next, um, whether it be consciously or unconsciously. So I think watching old films and, and reading old classic books, et cetera, um, do bring you closer to the truth of, of what a scene is like, what interacting between people is like, uh, not that you can't find that in more modern movies or more mainstream movies, uh, but there's a there's just a little bit of a uh, of a truth I want to say that you can get in some of these older films uh, and and books and literature and stuff. Yeah, well, I could see too in older films how you know obviously not being able to re- to rely on special effects and CGI and a bunch of other stuff to like make the film look good, right? It's like okay, well, how do we get the best out of these actors? um and the writers and everything else i could definitely see um how that would work Uh, i'm curious that you know playing in the past eight years or so like you said how long did it take do you think for you to like incorporate that into um your own role play and your own gming i was a better role player i think before i was a gm i (laughs) i Played in a campaign, one of my first campaigns that somebody else ran for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it lasted maybe two to three years. It was it was a nice chunk of time. Uh, and that's where I really kind of learned to um, role play. I had like, I want to say three or four characters. All of them died in, in one way or another. <laughs> so I got a chance to play a bunch of different people. Yeah. Um, as a GM, I got better after about my third campaign, the first two were kind of a mess. Um, I made all the typical DM mistakes of, (laughs) you know, forcing the narrative and, you know, punishing the players and in dumb ways and um, just all, all the classic mistakes. And I think I eventually started running a tomb of annihilation campaign. And that's where I feel like I finally hit a stride. I finally started to, walk away from sessions feeling good and I was getting compliments from the players. Um, So those two things made me realize, all right, I think I'm finally getting a hang of this GM thing. Yeah. And it just, the, the experience of overtime and kind of learning from that. Yes. And, and I think it, you know, I've always had a little bit of a theater background. I've always been interested in film and storytelling. So maybe the GMing, Although I certainly failed the first couple of times, I think I eventually got a hold of it. And once I figured out what made it work, it really clicked for me. And I think I've just been kind of improving from from there. Uh, Doomed to repeat, honestly, being one of the best things I've ever kind of done creatively, uh, uh, yeah. both as a handler and as a producer and as an editor and, you know, all these things. Um, yeah. It's just kind of a magic, so something magical happened, you know, when when we put that one together. It, it really is, um, you know, what it's just part of why I'm so in love with the show, um, you know, 
you will now be the fourth person from the show to be on secret uh-huh. nerd. And it's just, um, you know, every time I just, it's so exciting just to hear, you know, how this magic happened of, of, you know, these, what is it? Seven people. Yeah. Uh, seven people coming together, um, having amazing chemistry and making this thing that, you know, is such an insane story and, but so well done and so well played. Um, you know what, uh, how long did it take for you to transition out of D&D and into other TTRPGs? It took a little while, not too long though. I mean, uh, uh during the pandemic, I was just kind of bored and we had come together, you know, Mayday kind of mm-hmm. came together right before lockdown. Yeah. And so we were playing games online just to get to know each other and out of boredom, I just sort of kind of reaching out to other systems. I was thinking about, Oh, maybe Starfinder or uh, maybe call of Cthulhu. Or then I landed on Delta green and I kept yeah. reading about how great it was. You know, it had mm-hmm. many awards and all this stuff. And then I started reading the scenarios and, you know, with D and D you can, reach your hand into the gutter and pull out a hundred uh, mm-hmm. uh, D&D adventure modules. Yeah. But Delta Green, it was very refined and it only came from certain sources. You know, there's only a certain number of writers for Delta Green, although the community creates a lot of its own content. Um, but the scenarios were so good and they were all integrated into this kind of larger world. And mm-hmm. um, I love the Lovecraft mythos um, and and uh, some of the... Uh, you know, more, more the mythos than the man. And and right. so I, I, I really, um, I just liked everything about it. And, and I knew because it was, because it took itself a little more seriously than D&D, my players were going to love it and they were going to gravitate towards it. Yeah. And they absolutely did. As soon as I ran a game for them, you know, just saying, hey guys, let's just do this, you know, Thursday night to just have something to do. They just immediately latched onto it. And, you know, there are two characters that exist from that first game into this game uh so it it it, i think it was uh immediately apparent that it was the right system for us were you familiar with like lovecraft's work prior to delta green kind of i i was i was always intrigued by the lovecraft mythos because i didn't understand it and and it felt like there was this inside knowledge and and whenever that happens in a game setting or a, or a movie setting I always want to know about the lore you know mm-hmm. so I definitely did a deep dive once I started getting into Delta Green but I was also considering Call of Cthulhu to to run and to play and so I just started watching videos and reading material reading some of the short stories to get familiar with it um so I wasn't super familiar only now in my old age did I become more familiar yeah it's uh it's pretty bizarre and i'm still you know even as much as i want to play delta green um i'm still not super familiar with like all of the lovecraftian stuff but it's just you know a a lot of tentacle monsters yeah and you know the the (laughs) important thing to take away from lovecraft at least the the kind of mindset of the game and of the of the stories and the books and the lore is that humanity is the ant on the comet that is Earth flying through an infinitesimal universe that we will never understand. And and the closer we get to understanding, the more insane we become. It's a very nihilistic mm-hmm. kind of outlook, but it, yeah. it produces some very interesting gameplay. <laughs> yeah, certainly. <laughs> it really does. Um, yeah, be, before we get in, too far into it, um, you know, if you don't mind my asking, like, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Florida. Okay. Uh, my entire life, and then yeah. I moved out to California a little over a decade ago. So, yes, that's where yeah. I'm from. Did you move to like pursue acting and everything else? I, I didn't pursue acting. I came out to LA to pursue a film career, which oh, I am yeah, currently, uh, uh, you know, pursuing. I'm I'm a gaffer uh, as a day job, so I do lighting. I'm a lighting technician for commercials and yeah. internet content and all kinds of stuff. That's awesome. And yeah. ultimately, you know, directing and things like that. You know, that's a good question. When I first moved to LA, I think I did have that in mind of I wanted to direct and, and you know, the film industry, as with a lot of industries, expects a lot out of its participants. You know, it is yeah. our pleasure to be working in the <laughs> film industry. It's kind of the outlook that, that right, yeah. the industry has. So I wanted to be a cinematographer. I wanted to be a director. And as I started working on sets, I, I realized it requires so much of your attention and so much of your dedication. 
and I wanted to live my life in other ways. I I, I was yeah. getting into D and D, and I and I wanted to just have other hobbies. I didn't want one thing to dominate my life, so it was kind of a of a life decision to take a step back, you know, continue to pursue the career, but also pursue my other hobbies. This podcast mm-hmm. being one of them, and I think um, if I could have my my way in life, it'd be nice to do lighting and shoot things when I can, but it'd also be nice to to have enough uh, success and traction with Mayday that we could all do this most of the time. You know, that's certainly yeah. the dream. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, <laughs> as the industry continues to grow, um, you know, at least from my like amateur point of view, it's like there's two things that are going to happen is there's going to be more and more people coming into it, but there's also going to be more people that are finding success that are in that kind of, niche you know areas that um you know are producing a better show are um you know both with the actual production and the acting and everything else that goes into it so right. um yeah i mean it's you know i think personally i think with 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 mayday it's really only a matter of time because it is one of the best produced shows that i've ever listened to even when you talk about like the big like you know go look at chartable top 10 and in terms of just the actual quality of the show, I think that, um, you know, I haven't really heard anything that's like it. So, well, that's uh, super nice of you to say. I mean, most of that uh, is due in part to Eli, uh, who's a player, yeah. a, a GM herself, and our sound designer. I mean, she's the one that's mixing and putting the sound effects. Uh, I help her with editing, but she's certainly the workhorse that, that makes the magic. Yeah, yeah, certainly, and and yeah, Eli's Eli's great. Um, <laughs> had her on, and and uh, we'll be doing a, a one shot soon. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and uh, but yeah, it, it, but you know, but I I think you, even with that element, and like I said, and then you back it up with incredible role play and an incredible story. So, um, it's really cool to see, you know, that happen and to be like watching this thing as it's growing. And, and oh yeah, for sure. Cool. I mean, it, um. I think both your show and our show are in its kind of infancy stage. We're, we're, yeah. we're growing constantly, which is wonderful. It's it's amazing to be meeting people like you and 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 uh, to keep meeting folks in the community. It's been a very supportive, friendly community. So it's it's really cool to see. And I think you're right that you know, enter, as the entertainment industry continues to evolve and move more online, shows like Critical Role are an example where. There is an audience for this. Um, it might be niche, but it's something that is always growing as people get into the hobby. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, as, as long as we you know stick to the things that we know we're good at and do the things that we care about, I think eventually you know the audience will come. And um, yeah, and you know, it, we're, it, it's only up from here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at it now, like G4 TV's back and B. Dave Walter's running a D&D show on G4. That's right. And like, yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's kind of a crazy um, thing to see, you know. And I think, too, it, like anything, right? Like once people have something, it's like, okay, well, this is cool that I get to watch Critical Role on Thursday nights, right. uh, which obviously we're not critters because we're here talking to each other. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was mean, watching it a little show, earlier, yeah, to be yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I, I do enjoy it, but it's, you know. Um, but yeah, my point being like, you know, there's like, yes, it's nice that there's a thing on Thursday, but then like people are like, okay, well now I'm into this hobby or watching it. Right. Um, so what else is there to watch or listen to? Um, and so, yeah, you can kind of see like how that's, that develops. And I think, um, you know, to that extent, like Delta green, like you said, is so specific, um, in what it is, but also, it's centered around our world, very much like how Vampire the Masquerade is like your vampires, right. but it's now time, right? Like right. Delta Green's like, shit's crazy, and you're now time, and you're humans. So <laughs> how are you going to deal with this? Um, right. So we talked a little bit about like how you got into uh, Delta Green as an idea. What is it that like continues to, what's it what is it about it that like really pulls at you as a storyteller as a as a story creator right cuz i mean everybody's doing the storytelling um you know in all fairness but i think that the obviously you have to structure this right and, and something like delta green like there has to be specific concrete things about the world um that the players have to interact with so like you know what was that like for you well it started with the concept right um uh, 
it, it, the concept of the show in, in particular, you know, I pitch mm-hmm. to the players. I want to run a campaign where you guys kind of unearth the secrets of this conspiracy that has existed for a century, you know, in, in yeah. modern times. Um, so it started with that and, and them being into that idea and the idea of, uh, them finding materials in the game that would then, uh, uh, trigger, uh, kind of historical scenarios we call them where the players play different characters back in time and mm-hmm. they you know kind of learn things and and then they you know kind of apply it to the to the modern world um but it evolved very quickly into following the characters once the the premise was set up and these characters started interacting with the world and the premise i realized quickly these uh uh agents Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically the perennial agents. That's kind of the main cast. Yeah. Uh, they're part of this group called perennial. Um, they were the driving force for the show uh, and the story and everything about it. So uh, we are doing our second arc now, uh, basically a second season. And this second season started with a historical scenario, but we're basically spending the rest of the arc with the agents of perennial. And, and mm-hmm. the reason is the reason I designed it that way is because I think both the audience and the players really latched onto these characters. And I think the story is being driven by them. And so that's how it started and how it is going now. You know, we went from Mm -hmm. just a big idea and now these characters that are a part of this big idea are driving it into whatever direction it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think one thing that's been really cool, like, as I've gotten into this whole TTRPG world and Delta Green specifically, um, I've listened to a few different Delta Green shows. And so I've I've become super, super familiar with the first scenario that you guys ran. Um, sure. and every every person who's ran it has it's been a little bit different. You know what I mean? Right. Um, last but, things last, it's called. Yeah, yeah. And but I've noticed um you know, that there have been elements that you've obviously incorporated into them. And then things change a lot as um, you add in more scenarios and situations. So, you know, when it comes to like that part of it, like that, that writing side of it of like, okay, we're going to make this work for Mayday Roleplay um, mm. and borrow ideas from, from the scenario. Like, do, do you find yourself doing that more now? Definitely. Th- this current arc is almost entirely homebrewed, uh, meaning that there are not currently scenarios that exist that I was basing off of. You know, in the first arc, Last Things Last is a scenario you can run. Uh, yeah. Reverberations is a scenario you can run that we ran in 1984, we said it. Um, this season, or this arc, is a little different uh, where... I try to slip in one or two scenarios that actually exist, but it became more of a homebrew situation again, because of the choices the players were making. Um, They were kind of avoiding those scenarios and they were kind of, you know, heading down their own path. Uh, So yeah. 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 I think, I think too, with Delta green, like once you kind of get like, Oh, okay. These are, you know, monster stats, at least in my experience, because I've, it's something I'm going to do for my, um, home group, we're going to play some Delta Green together and looking at it like, oh, okay, like I'm looking at this monster stats and immediately blossom like, all right, I know exactly how to like fit this into a random place in Albuquerque, sure. New Mexico. And, and sure. we can, you know, make this thing into some kind of scenario with the decisions that they made in terms of who they wanted to be. Um, you know, what, what, uh, because something that we, you and I talked about a little bit offline was like raising the stakes. We've gone from season one, which was absolutely incredible to now season two, which has also been very incredible. And so, you know, how do you, what did it take for you to take what happened in season one and go, okay, we have to one, make something new and now right. you right. Know, up the stakes. So people are still interested. I, I approached arc two, like a director would approach a sequel. Um, you know, Terminator two was bigger in every way than Terminator one. And so I kind of had that mindset. I I almost approached it with the mindset of we might never play Delta green again. And, and if not, how do I make this second arc (laughs) the best, most full of insanity arc I can do? Um, so I approached it that way. Uh, for me, I'm a very reactive 
DM in the sense that until the players react to the setup, I don't necessarily know where the story is going to go or, or, but once they do that, then I'm off to the races when it comes to writing and coming up with ideas. So that first arc, I just listened to it again and I made notes and I thought about where does it go from here? And I spoke a lot with uh, Vince of Black Project Gaming, who was a big help. Uh, He helped me kind of uh, behind the screen to develop some of the bigger set pieces. So I I had some help kind of bouncing ideas off of because I was effectively creating scenarios that had no play play testing at all. You know, there was no... Uh, testing of it. So I, I had to make sure I was not crazy when I was coming up with things and things seemed balanced and that kind of stuff. So right. fortunately, I had Vince to bounce those ideas off of. But um, I really just tried to raise the stakes by bringing in the player's personal stories. Uh, I told each player, guys, if you don't bring up or, or um, inspire the conversation to lead to your backstories – no one's ever going to know anything about your characters and they could potentially die and there would be no knowledge of who they were or what their goals were. So this arc, the players really went out of their way to talk to each other and to express who they are and what their goals are. And and I was able to tie all of that into the arc. And and, and I think it's I think it's definitely better than the second one. We haven't released all the episodes. Excuse me. I definitely think it's better than the first one. We haven't released all the episodes yet, but um, we thoroughly enjoyed running it. Yeah. I don't know how – I say this every time. I have no idea how you guys are able to record it and then just wait for that shit to come out because that would drive me <laughs> absolutely insane. Um, There's something kind of satisfying though because you know I, I've been editing these episodes and then sending them to Eli. And yeah, it's been a couple of months since we've listened to them. And it is nice to come back because it's like being a new listener again and yeah. reliving it and, and – um, there's something satisfying, but I get what you mean that it's like, you know, I want to get these out. I want people to listen to them and see what people yeah. think, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause I, I wait a month between, uh, these episodes. And when I did my one shot, um, I think it was like two weeks and, and that really was just partially because of how much editing it takes to sure, do, sure. you know, three and a half hours of audio yeah. uh, with four people, uh, which I mean, yeah, seven people. And you're just like, that's so much. And then on it, top of all, all the stuff Eli does as well. Right. So. Yeah, no, it's definitely a lot at this moment. We're averaging about two weeks per episode. Uh, I'll edit it. I'll send it to Eli. And in that time frame, she will finish it. So two and a half to three weeks. That's why we kind of changed to a slightly different schedule. Now, instead of releasing every single Friday, we're doing every other Friday just to have some more buffer time. Uh, it's proven to be a lot more stress-free and, and helpful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I am curious because one of the things, um, you know, they're called the handler for Delta Green, but essentially yeah. GM, um, you know, I, I think that you do a fantastic job. And you talked about being reactionary, like when it comes to improvising um, and then telling this story but still taking care of your cast which is something i think you do a very good job of like where did that come from for you like how did you learn those skills do you think it takes time and i think maybe the most important way to learn the lesson of taking care of your players and understanding pace and understanding what you think is good in a game requires you to play in games Uh, Like I said, I was in a couple of games where I was a player and every single one of them was pivotal for me to learn what I do and don't want in a game. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everyone is the same. You know, not uh, some folks love to only role play. Some folks hate combat, vice versa. Uh, But for me, I just approach it like if this was a movie, how would I want you know, to edit this movie or how would I want this movie to look and sound and feel? And so it, it just takes practice and it takes playing in other games to see what works for you and what doesn't work. I've, I've, I've played with GMs where I just felt like they didn't respect, you know, the pillars of gameplay enough. They, they focus too much on one thing as opposed to the other. Um, It's just, it's just time and practice. And it's just, you know, you as a handler, as a GM, you know, making note, taking stock of what works for you and what doesn't work. 
Yeah. And it just takes time to to learn that skill, just like, you know, writing or or painting, you know, it's, it just takes time to learn it. Yeah. Do do you enjoy writing? Cuz I, I imagine there's a lot of that comes, you know, with this. There is. You know, it's funny when when I moved to LA wanting to be a director possibly trying to write something that was always in the back of my head. And I always felt somewhat unsatisfied not being able to produce a script or, or, or get anything off the ground. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop games, Delta Green, that has kind of filled that niche for me. Uh, I do yeah. do a lot of writing, uh, mostly in the forms of notes. You know, it's not prose or anything, right. but it certainly is getting that creative fulfillment achieved. Um writing and and just kind of planning and prepping a lot of world building yeah you know thinking about what npcs are doing and how they're reacting to things it's it's a it's very satisfying as a as a writer for sure it definitely scratches that itch for me yeah i i would agree i i've wanted to write since i was a kid and i think that just the creative aspect of it because it's like you're constantly just like Oh, that's a new idea. Oh, that's a new idea. Oh, I can do this thing. Um, you know, even with my my one shots, like it, 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 I don't do a ton of like hardcore written prep and things like that. But it's like I think about these different ideas, and then I sure. like play out scenarios. And you know, obviously, I'm not like rolling dice, but it's like, okay, well, if this happens, you know, what's going to happen next? Yeah, how does that affect? this like why would this person even why would this character even do this or this npc or whatever so um yeah it's definitely it definitely i think it, it, it must attach to that part of your brain that's like we use it when we're writing as well i think so and and to go along with what you're saying too you know what's so unique about tabletop games is there's only so much you can write because inevitably it's going to come into contact with the players and they're going mm-hmm. to completely flip the script yeah so you know it it you you exercise the writing muscle, but there's almost like this Schrodinger's idea situation where you think you you know you you have an idea about what you want to do, but until the players actually interact with it, it can go anywhere. So yeah, yeah. there there does need to be a certain level of improv that you're comfortable with of of adapting mm-hmm. to the inevitable changes the players bring. Yeah, and I think that that actually doing what we're just talking about like i think that actually helps improv though because if you're constantly thinking about scenarios um it's kind of like with people who have uh hypervigilance right like you're just like always aware of shit like the possibility of something happening so when something does happen you're prepared for it right um, right for better or worse um (laughs) but i think that you know similarly if you're constantly running through different ideas um different scenarios different ways a person could react to a situation um then it helps in those times instead of you're just like stuck and like oh well shit because i I mean that i've talked about it before on my show but like 100 percent when my first time jamming i was like we're all going to be heroes. We're all going to save the town or we're going to try. And they were like, nope, we're fucking bad guys and we're taking <laughs> off. And I was like, um, yeah, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to be bad guys. I, know I, I, told I did you the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, session two, I sat all the players down. I was like, guys, you're good guys. You're not supposed to be punching people and yeah. you know, random villagers and stuff. You're, you're right that that's, yeah, that's just kind of a part of it, especially when you have, players that are maybe new to the hobby or or are kind of testing the waters with you as a dm etc you know kind of seeing what they can get away with um a lot of it just comes down to the importance of a session zero and talking with your players about what the expectations are which we certainly did for for doom to repeat um yeah and i mean you really have to with delta green because it just it's so violent and you know if you're a person that that gets scared easily like that's something you have to consider too and um our imaginations can get very creative so you have to like be prepared if you're a person that can like really overthink a situation like okay how is this going to affect you um you know and yeah it's definitely not for everyone Uh, I, i think that there are certain uh, tabletop players that maybe do prefer like a D and D or a, a power fantasy. Uh, right. That's more, that type of game is more appropriate for them. Delta green is not a power fantasy. Um, it's, it's, it's about, you know, surviving just long enough to save the world for one more day. You know, it's, it's yeah. kind of the opposite. And, and, you know, there's different satisfactions that players can get out of, out of that type of gameplay, but you have to have the mindset for sure. Yeah, one of my players for um, we we just we didn't get a chance to play one night our regular Pathfinder 2e game, so we 
just created Delta Green characters. Instead. That's cool. And uh, and she's like, oh, I want to be a criminal. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I can figure that out. She's like, um, all right, I want to be like 18. And I was like, okay, hang on. <laughs> let me explain to you. Like, I know I've talked about this a lot, but let me just really make this clear. This is horrifically violent. Like, <laughs> um, But I mean, I, we talked about it. We figured it out. I'm going to let it happen. And it'll be an interesting story. Hey, I mean, you know, <laughs> I've, I effectively made that uh, compromise with a couple of characters. Uh, there is Warp, who yeah. is seemingly either very young or ancient. Uh, depending, <laughs> right. on, on, depending on, you know, on your perspective. And there's also <laughs> Agent Merritt, who who is revealed in this arc to be relatively young as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the players talked to me about it and they justified it. And and I thought that their justif- justifications were valid and, and worked in the world. So as long as you talk with your, your handler about it, I, I think you can make just about anything work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what were some of, like, I guess without getting into too many spoilers, like what were some of the outside inspirations for, uh, for arc two? Outside inspirations. Keeping in mind that this will come out in about a month. So like the beginning of January. True. And, and, and a lot of episodes will be out by then. Um, in terms of like what inspired it, I mean, obviously the first season inspired it. I, I, I definitely thought about, okay, What's the continuation of the story? Where do we go from here? In terms of like media inspirations, uh, the first two episodes were definitely like uh, the Predator, or or um, I'm trying to think of other kind of high action movies with like a team yeah. of of yeah. highly skilled warriors. You know, ca- I kind was of so thing. mad after the first episode. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about why, just because I need people to go listen to it. But we can talk about it offline because I was pissed. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> If you you have a valid reason to be pissed. There there's some crazy shit that happened in that episode. Yeah, for sure. Um but the rest of this of the season was mostly just inspired by True Detective, um yeah. X-Files, uh that kind of supernatural uh uh drama. Uh, certainly more television than movies because we mm-hmm. kind of follow more of a TV format. Um yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say everything in my life inspires it in one way or another. I mean, certainly the fact that this arc, we focus a lot more on the characters. So, mm. you know, maybe some more of those old Italian neorealist <laughs> yeah. films are are inspiring me to let the players really engage with each other as opposed to just always action, 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 you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think because I am definitely a player like I love my, you know, combat and my you know, rolling the D20 and everything else. Um, but I think as I've developed as a player um, and as a, a GM, like it's definitely something that I really enjoy. It's like those moments to just like, you know, take some time to breathe and like do some character development and, you know, have to go meet up with your wife impromptu and <laughs> yeah, some totally. guests to dinner. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, it definitely creates really cool moments. And I think too, as a listener, um, cause I don't think that I have like ADHD, but I can imagine there are, I know that there are many listeners who have ADHD and like, sure. so when things, even in a lot of times in combat, like for a D20 actual play, let's say, uh, or, uh, D&D actual play or Pathfinder, like it, their combat is just, you know, there's so many roles and it's like, it's easy to check out of. Sure. Um, and I think when it's like story, it's, it's more engaging as a listener to be like, Oh, okay. Like what's going on. If I missed that conversation. Like, you know, I have to pay attention now. And so I think it really, um, you know, brings the audience in, in that way. And then when you have those, you know, specific situations with characters that they've grown to love over time, like it really makes it a fun, uh, really fun thing. So. I mean, I'm happy to hear that from you. You know, that's always, a concern as a as a gm of is the pacing too fast or too slow uh that's something that uh, also takes time is kind of figuring that out of when do you need to give your players a break when do you need to give your characters moments of levity uh my players really go hard in terms of the role play so um sometimes it's me that has to set up a comical situation that kind of breaks the 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 the, the seriousness for a moment um you know, narrative play is is important once you've like really set the the stakes for all the characters and and you've really gotten to know these characters. Um, my players are so good at it that 
it's just something that I don't shy away from. I let them really do as much as they can, especially the second arc. I really kind of made a mental effort. And yeah. what's nice is that if there is too much, we can always cut some of it out, which occasionally right. we do. Um, and, and, and so a lot of my work behind the screen is all right. There's probably going to be a really tense moment, maybe a little bit of combat, uh, there needs to be a beat after that that maybe is a little calmer. And then once that calm moment has happened, I need to start raising that tension. So mm-hmm. they start getting weird phone calls. They start seeing weird things. And, you know, slowly that tension yeah. starts to build up. So it's it's like, it's a challenge. And, and, and it's something that you get good at with time, experience, viewing other media, being inspired by other media. It's, it's just a, a lifelong process. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that, um, like you were talking about, kind of like it being earned, right? And uh, my friends and I were having a conversation about, um, because I have a few friends that we listen to the Glass Cannon podcast, Hmm. and they're like 306 episodes in now, right? So they'll do 20 minutes of banter on the top, right? Like before they even get back into the actual game, they're talking about like just random bullshit, but 306 episodes in, like they've earned it. Right. So, and, sure. and I think over time it's gotten a little bit longer and, and the, they've gotten feedback that it's been acceptable. Right. Whereas like you do a one shot and I had, I think I left four minutes in cause I just was enjoyed it personally. And I was like, well, I don't expect it to like have thousands of listeners anyway. So like, if you enjoyed and listened to it, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, and if you didn't listen to it, well, then it's okay. Um, but yeah, so it was like four minutes. I was like, okay, at four minutes is, I think that's like acceptable. That's not too long where people are going to be like, okay, I'm completely bored with this. And we're talking about what we're going to do. It wasn't like, you know, how to make a pasta or something. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I mean, um, f- f- yeah. four minutes, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I'm realizing is the, the audience, comes because you've got something cool that they want to listen to, but they stay because they like you. Um, And so that's something we try to extend into our discord, into our Patreon. We try to let the audience see more of who we are, certainly when we're streaming and we're just, you know, on, um, there might be a little bit more banter and joking around, but when it comes to the podcast, we definitely try to hone it in because that is a, a compliment we've received is that, you know, we appreciate that you guys aren't just talking BS constantly, mm-hmm. yeah. um, or, or, you know, kind of breaking from the story. So I, th- I think there is a time and place for it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, but yeah, I think in that same sense, like, like you said, having that, those times to breathe, you know, having the mm-hmm. quote unquote beach episode, yeah, uh, you know, things like that are, it's easier to achieve once, um, you have that rapport with the audience. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely, uh, uh, it definitely makes a difference, but you know, that's one of the draws. That was one of the draws for me with this style of show was the idea of getting to know people who make the shows that I enjoy. You know what I mean? I see. And really like, and cause I mean, that's what like, you know, listen to your favorite band. And then for me, it was like, okay, well, I want to like, how do they actually talk though? You know, right. how, like, what are they actually interested in? Um, and so that was the draw for interview shows for me. So I, I, I definitely get that aspect of it as a as a listener. Well, it's a great idea, and it's great that you were able to take this kind of interest that you have in, in getting to know people uh, uh, and and starting a show with it. So that's great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. I, I really do enjoy it. Um, but yeah, so one of the uh, obviously you do some other shows. Um, the the newest show that you guys are doing um, is. Uh, the Orpheus mm-hmm. stuff, which your character is, is, uh, hilarious and creepy. Um, <laughs> but, but let's talk a little bit about both, um, uh, that character and, um, Oh, I get to talk about a character. I'm so often being asked questions as know, a handler. Yeah. So I'm, Oh, yeah. I get to ask, answer <laughs> character questions. Yeah. So let's talk about your, your, your other characters on Mayday. So we're running a campaign called Orpheus and it's basically like, Ghostbusters, if Ghostbusters was like a real thing in the world, there's a company Mm. called Orpheus that you can pay to take care of hauntings and and ghost sightings and things like that. So that's that's the premise. Yeah. And uh, I play a character named Lavinia, um, who is part of the team. And Lavinia is a... uh, well, she's a reformed criminal, effectively. Um, <laughs> you eventually kind of learn through our episodes that she had a little trouble with the law when she was alive. 
Uh, she is now permanently dead, and um, she's she's just a fun chance for me to play a character that's part of the team, but not necessarily the most trustworthy member of the team. I yeah. I tend to like to play those types of characters. Um, I think as a DM, I know well enough what a what an obnoxious player is when they don't right. when they're not a team player or when they're griefing the other players. Yeah. Backstabbing and that kind of stuff. So I like to play characters that ride that line where the other players trust me as a player not to do anything crazy, <laughs> yeah. but they the character yeah. yeah, yeah, but the, but <laughs> but they know that my character is not necessarily um a a quote-unquote good person. I'd like to think that they think they're a good person. Uh, but yeah. their motives are a little different than everyone else's. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. I, I, some of the stuff like, um, cause I, I try to catch the streams when I can. Um, I, you know, I'm a dad with three kids, so it's yeah, of not course. always possible on the weekends, but, um, but I, I, you know, whatever I can't catch, I listen to on the podcast and I just absolutely, um, love it. And, and, uh, the whole cast of course is, is fantastic, but yeah. yeah. You know, what was the, um, you kind of mentioned like, you know, just being that kind of specific character, but like, um, you know, I'm not too familiar with the Orpheus rule set and things like that. Like what, what was the, the draw for that specific kind of character? That's an interesting question because I had a little bit of trouble creating a character for Orpheus. I, I feel like other players kind of came up with something sooner than I did. And, and the reason was because I, I kept thinking about the big picture. Yeah. There is a world in which ghosts exist, and I was considering playing a ghost. What does it mean to be a ghost? And I was kind of struggling with that. You know, I yeah. on one hand, it would probably suck. Uh, I mean, you're 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 real, but you're not real. You're there, but you're not there. Um yeah. and and I wanted to create a character that still attempted to have some kind of control over their existence. Like, yeah, maybe they're dead, but at least they're smarter than everybody else. Or, or, you know, I, yeah. I, I tried to find some, some conceit that, that drew me to the character. That's whenever I create a character, it's always about what is the, 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 the big picture idea about this character that draws me to them. And for Lavinia, it was this kind of reformed criminal, uh, someone that has, kind of experience the impossible. I mean, they're, they're a ghost and yet they are still conscious. And what does that do to somebody? What, how, how does that affect their motives and how does that make them continue? You know, what, what are their new goals once life is over? Um, so it took me a little while, but I eventually found a concept that I, that I really liked um, and ran with it. So, yeah, I think that is an interesting way to do it though, because um, you know, the way that ghosts are portrayed in Orpheus, like, there really is a psychology to that. Right. Um, you know, like there, it's not just like you're stuck in this haunt. There are some ghosts obviously that are, but, um, but you know, the ghosts that you play as a PC, you, you're playing this, you know, former human, right. That still has all their personality and everything right. else. Um, and like you said, but just with less control. So, um, you know, it's cool to think about how those things, um, would be affected because I think it, it definitely makes for interesting character moments. For sure. Yeah. And that's the fun of tabletop games. You get to play impossible characters or, or characters that you would never see in the real world. And I'll, I'll let you in on a little bit of Lavinia's psychology here. Um, you know, you, we've only completed one um, mission so far, probably yeah. by the time this comes out, there'll be at least two or three, yeah. but you know, when you approach, exercising a ghost in Orpheus, you have to find the things that they're connected to and then sever those strands. And only then will they be able to move on. Well, from Lavinia's perspective, and she has a little bit of a analytical scientific mindset. Mm -hmm. She sees these ghosts that are kind of stuck in patterns. You know, they're stuck in loops uh, yeah. in a way. And she's starting to think, why am I any different from them? What pattern am I stuck in? Am I even actually Lavinia? Am I actually a a a echo, a, a memory of Lavinia was? And so this is not something I've really been able to come out with yet uh, on the show, but I hope yeah. to eventually kind of reveal this fear that Lavinia has, that she's not really 
Lavinia anymore. She's just this static that that continues and persists and has all of Lavinia's memories and thoughts, but is not necessarily Lavinia anymore. And and, and what do you do with that? It's kind of a Doctor Manhattan type situation, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's really cool. It's it's fun when you can have those things and like just subtly place them in. You know, our first D and D campaign, we didn't get to play it for too long, but the character I made was half half drow, half human. Hmm. Um, and raised by both parents but um like uh his his mother was like you know formerly of the bad setup of drow like still going with that right history of it um and was now a good person but still understood that she was a woman and that women were the people in power right uh, in her world right and so um my character had a deference to any of the women that were in his party and not mm. to like um an excessive degree or anything like that but it was like always paid more attention to like the things that they said um and stuff like that and it just never really we didn't play it long enough for it to like develop into anything special but it was something that like as uh as the pc i was like okay this this is going to be a part of of who they are. Oh, that's um, super cool. I, I love the psychology of that. I, I love drow. My first character was a drow, so I'm yeah. I'm totally on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, and then the the character you played for the Ashoka stuff. Um, I, the is it Rad? Rad, Rad the Sea Turtle. Yeah. yeah, that was driving me nuts. I was like, this whole time, like, what is the name? Um, his his longer name is a little harder to say, but yeah, Rad was yeah. what everyone called him. Yeah, that was fun. I, when I first listened to it, I was like, oh, yeah, Sergio just kind of and, – and I'm going to say this, you know, but we're going to talk about it. But, like, it w- definitely was like, okay, yeah, you went from, like, I am the handler of the show to, like, I'm going to check out as Surfer Dude and not even be involved. <laughs> that was my impression. So good on you for playing it in a way that made it seem like uh, – that uh, rad was not going to be important at all to the story so right right well <laughs> certainly rad would never expect to be important to the story and and yeah. i suppose it's how it kind of started as a player i was never checked out that's for sure i mean yeah, you know no, yeah. uh, as a player a lot of times what i like to do is i won't necessarily do a lot i won't necessarily um be constantly interacting with the world, but I do like to interact with each player. So I was always trying to make sure that I would have moments with the other players yeah. uh, when there was any kind of tension or something, you know, trying to communicate and, be, and become yeah. friends with, with the other folks. Let's reduce um, tension by making this uncomfortable moment with somebody that <laughs> the rest of the players are not sure of. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, that was an amazing uh, gift of Eli that, yeah. you know, you, you don't often as a player create a backstory and then get to kind of live out the 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 major portions of that backstory you know i had this patron idea of a of a ancient dragon turtle and i i told eli and and we kind of established where that dragon turtle lives etc and it just so happened that it became kind of a major thrust thrust of the first part of the story and and so i was very appreciative and, and lucky to kind of uh you know do that yeah yeah and to be clear i didn't think you were checking out it's just no like, no no you know like yeah like rad was just like you know to stereotype that surfer dude was just like okay yeah this is gonna be super easy to totally. just kind of keep it low-key totally. um yeah rad was but, very much a people pleaser and and this was mm-hmm. something that kind of happened naturally just playing the character that's one of the fun things about playing characters is you start with a an idea about them, but then they evolve whether you mean to or not. Um, and unconsciously, he became this people pleaser. Like he was just always looking for everybody's approval. So when the the crew was angry at him, he was even more desperate to get their approval. So yeah. that was just something that kind of naturally evolved. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, are you, I guess if you can talk about it, like, are you guys planning on adding any other kind of shows, um, to Mayday's, um, list, I guess? Well, we'll, we'll probably do Orpheus, you know, as kind of the yeah. new main show, uh, as Doom to Repeat wraps up. Uh, I do think we are starting to transition to more of a stream focused, uh, a group. We will probably, okay continue to do the occasional podcast certainly if a uh, um you know if our audience wants us to do another doom to repeat we we will do another arc uh probably yes. in podcast format okay that's a yes <laughs> from navarre so we've yeah. got one for from navarre yeah. um b- but i think we're planning to do 
more one shots, probably in different systems. I've got an idea for a kids on bikes uh, system. Uh, yeah. Someone else has an idea for a masks uh, uh, one shot mm, or, or small campaign. I know that Caleb really wants to run a Vampire the Masquerade campaign. So that will likely happen uh, in the in the coming year. Yeah. So we definitely don't want to just live in one system for, for long. I, I think we do want to try different ones. We've got a couple on the uh, on the horizon, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I have you guys considered Call of Cthulhu? Not that I want you to go that direction. I'm just curious because it is like, you know, pre-Delta Green. I haven't considered it. Maybe the other players are considering it at some point. I don't know. A part of me, I'm just very satisfied with Delta Green in the sense that Delta Green is uh, based off of the Call of Cthulhu system. Right. And it's really a more streamlined, minimalist version of the Call of Cthulhu system. And I like minimalism. I don't, yeah. as a handler, I struggle memorizing all the rules, and, and especially when they're complex rules. And although Delta Green has one or two kind of difficult rules to wrap my head around, um, it's simpler than Call of Cthulhu. And I don't know, maybe the modern aesthetic just... Interests me more than the 1920s aesthetic. I kind of think it's yeah. been done. There are shows that do a great Call of Cthulhu podcast. Uh, uh, I mean, there's there's countless ones, but um, something about Delta Green just kind of speaks to me more than Call of Cthulhu. But we've we've been in Call of Cthulhu games, and and yeah. I'm sure we'll run one eventually in the future. But yeah, I I, I agree. I think I I enjoy the the aesthetic of of delta green more um than the 1920s and i mean you can run it like you know uh, when i had london uh carlisle on the show like he talked like when they did spot hidden's first uh season that was you know middle middle ages so um you can definitely play around with that but i i, I agree i think that there is a lot when especially when you're talking about like narrative play with delta green and like knowing okay this character has a 40 on this so they would get this right like i right. don't have to roll a right. die for it yeah um you know and reducing that stuff and i think even as i've gotten more into it um and tell me if it's been the same i don't know if you still have time to play home games anymore of like D and stuff but like do you you know getting to the point where it's like okay your strength is an 18 like i'm not gonna make yeah. you roll a strength check to open this door or whatever without um, a doubt moving forward that is going to be the thing i take away from delta green if a rogue has a plus 12 in his stealth it, it, it's it it's gonna have to be a very serious situation for me to ask them to roll you know it's right, just yeah. it's just um that's one that's been one of the pet peeves you know we talked earlier about learning what you like and don't like from games i hate it when a dm asks roles for everything and you know sometimes systems like dnd do uh, uh, part of the mechanics is rolling a lot, but yeah. even then, I think I'm going to adopt this more minimalist approach where if somebody is proficient in something, I'm going to let them get away with it more. Uh, the, the only caveat being that if there is a tense moment where things could turn for the worse, maybe right. that's when I'm going to ask, because that's generally in Delta Green when you ask for it, when, when everything's on the line. Yeah. That's when you ask for the role. So I think that's how I am going to move forward with 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 roles in just about any game at this point. Yeah, I think I mean it, it definitely makes sense. Like, and it, and it takes a while even for the players to get used to because sure. there's a lot of times when when they just expect like, sure. when I had a player in a home game that he wanted to climb on top of this tomb and rolled his first athletic check, made it up, and then he's like, "All right, I'm gonna get down. Let me roll my athletics." I was like, "Just get down." Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you're clearly athletic enough to get up there. Like, I don't yeah. understand. Let's just move on. We'll and, and and even if you do ask your players to roll, you know, just being cognizant of like a DC of five, a DC of 10, right, like yeah. the, 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 that's, you know, for, for a master thief, you know, just about any lock is, is, is going to be relatively easy or, or a medium challenge. So mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of times it's just not necessary. And the, the reason you do that is because it allows the narrative to flow better. We were talking about pace right. earlier. Yeah. You know, when you're not constantly asking for roles and waiting for roles, suddenly the story's moving a lot faster. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh it it definitely helps a lot, you know. And especially if you're doing something, I mean, I think pacing is important even in a home game. You talked about like having home games where it's like you roll every time or everything is kind of just clunky. So, I think there's certainly an aspect of pacing that's important for a home game too where you know you take breaks and that doesn't matter but like yeah. as you're playing let's make it smooth 
Um, uh, but certainly when you're making a show, then pacing yeah. becomes even more important. As, as uh, Absolutely. We are listeners. definitely more <laughs> cognizant of it because it's a show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you... Because I, you know, today we just before we started this interview, um, you guys had posted on Twitter about like your goals for 2022 yeah. um, and getting more people involved um, in in running the games for Mayday. Um, and you talked a little bit about you know um, Caleb running Vampire and some other people doing some other stuff. So, you know, do you from that point, do you enjoy one or the other being the person running the game or being a player like? Because you said you don't think you're good at role play as as good as you were, but I think that that is just humble bullshit. Because I think that you're very good at role <laughs> well, play. Well, thank you um, for calling me on my bullshit. We all need to be called on our bullshit once in a while. Um, if if I if I answered honestly, I love to play. I really yeah. really like to play as a character. Um, especially when the, 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 the GM is really just, just bringing it home with, with, with those sessions, you know? Um, and even, even, even when it's just, you know, a good game because all the players are so much fun to play with. Um, I like to play, but at the end of the day, the fact that I spend so much time when I do DM thinking about it and planning it, I think proves to me that I really probably prefer to DM. Yeah. I don't it's a different way of playing the game. As we all know, anyone who's, who's been a DM, you're it's a different kind of fun. Yeah. But it is a kind of fun that settles with me. I, I do like, I'm somebody that likes to host a party, but I'm not necessarily a party animal, right? Like I'm yeah. not the guy getting smashed at the party, but yeah. I do like the idea of a, a bunch of friends coming over and we have a good time and maybe somebody brings their guitar and they, and they are kind of the, the highlight of the, of the party or whatever. So I have that within me to be a, a good host, um, I think, more than be a player. If you had to put a gun to my head and you said, choose one, I would rather be a forever DM than a forever player. Because I am that kind of person that I have ideas in my head that I would like to see w- what it looks like when somebody interacts with that idea. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, for sure. So I, I definitely feel like I'm more of a, of a DM than a player. But I love both. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree. I, I feel the same way. I, I definitely love both. But I knew that DMing was going to have to happen for me when I first started because, one, I wrote the campaign setting that we, we I gave to my friend and then we kind of, you know, went from there um, so he could run the game because I wanted to play. Yeah. And then as soon as that happened, I was like, okay, here's this uh, elaborate backstory that I didn't give to you, you know, but it was just like for me, for my own sake to have the story. And then constantly thinking about like, oh, well, you know, Miguel's character, like this is such a cool story beat. Like we should introduce this, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm not running the game. So it doesn't matter. I'm like, so wait okay, a minute. Let me character- get this straight. <laughs> you created a world and then gave it to another DM to run yes. for you? That's yeah. amazing. Wow. I don't think I've ever done that before. Yeah. That's very I, interesting. Yeah. I really wanted to play and, and sure. I had this idea of – of uh this like war-torn city that was occupied um by um by the uh the bad guys or whatever yeah and and having these players who were kind of like um like vigilantes trying to like spark a revolution and and so yeah i was like all right this is the war that happened this is the things going around these are how the people are affected this is we're 20 years later now here you go and, Sounds uh, like you should have run that game for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the end, but it was you know, but it, at the time it was like I've never played, or I played once before, a few times before, yeah. um, but years before, and and just wasn't really sure. I hadn't played fifth edition yet. Um, I didn't feel confident enough that yeah. I could even run a game. Um, and but I'm a kind of person like once I start learning something, I get obsessed with it. Yeah. So then I was like, by the time we were actually playing games, I was like, oh yeah, no, this is the rule. Um, you know, he was like having me do like perception checks instead of or uh, investigation checks instead of perception. I was sure, like, sure. that doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> this is the one I should be using. I became like a rules lawyer and I try not to be obnoxious about it. But it was just like, OK, for sure. I, I need to start running games after this, I think. You bring up an interesting point, which is maybe a lot of times the reason a lot of DMs are created probably out of necessity. Like I was yeah. the same way. Once I learned about d and I was like, I want to play. I want to play. Nobody's running a game. 
I'm going to have to run my own game. And yeah. so I just had to learn how to be a DM. Um, and it just so happened that I enjoyed it and I got better at it. But maybe that's what happens with a lot of DMs is that uh, the responsibilities thrust upon you. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I mean, I, and I even tried a long time ago with 3.5 and my friends just at the time were not into it, but mm. yeah, it's, uh, it definitely becomes a thing where it's like, okay, well, somebody's gonna have to step up and do it. You yeah. Know? And, uh, <laughs> I just peer pressured my friend long enough that he, did. right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm very lucky with Mayday that a lot of the players are experienced GMs, So we do rotate a little bit. I, I know that there's yeah. certain podcasts where there's only one GM and right. I'm sure it's a nice position to have, but it's also kind of exhausting too, because it is nice to take that break. You know, it's nice to have yeah. that break from doom to repeat where I can be in other games and, and I don't have to, you know, constantly be plotting and planning. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely helps. And I mean, you know, it's, I, I said it to her when she was on the show, but it's amazing what Eli did, you know, never having done it before. Um, and Ashoka is beloved among the people that have listened to it like it's, it's yeah. such a good D D show um, yeah specifically and um yeah it's really cool her, know, her so. world building is awesome that was to yeah. me the the best takeaway about ashoka was there's so much the, the way she turned a lot of uh D characters and tropes and and uh races and classes and all that stuff on its head uh it was just so cool it was so cool every episode when she would you know say there's this kind of bird and and this kind of thing and and it was always cool to learn about the lore of the world so yeah yeah, yeah. definitely gets you involved and um yeah it's super exciting well um i think that's where we'll end it but yeah this, this has been awesome to finally get you on the show and and, and talk some more delta green um i, I wish i could talk about it every day or are, are you gonna run are you gonna run a delta green one shot or something uh online at some point um yeah i think i will i will for sure i i think i'll probably run the home game first okay um just to kind of get the hang of it because i've just never done it sure um i've never even got to be a player in delta well green, i so. i will say this i am planning more delta green one shots i did one a couple of months ago called looks could kill to original one that i wrote i'm writing another one now i would like to extend an invitation to you if you'd like to be a yes. player so you can get the chance absolutely awesome 100%. awesome yeah you heard it here <laughs> for sure yeah you heard it here um yeah for sure it's uh it's such a fun concept you know and just like listening to it has been so fun so i'm super excited to get into it and and, and freak out my players and yeah i've learned with my first one shot that i can be pretty grim dark so i think it'll fit right in <laughs> yeah be, be liberal with those sanity checks just just hammer <laughs> that sanity <laughs> yeah especially on a one shot like might as well oh Somebody yeah oh yeah insane. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> if someone at least doesn't reach their breaking point, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, cool, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, you know, this has been super exciting. I'm, I'm excited to, you know, continue hanging out with you guys and, and working with you guys on different stuff in the future. So. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. Bye.